you guys to be encouraged with that. All right, GPC kids, you guys are dismissed and can head out with your new children's directors. Uh, as well, Kathy is still over our GPC kids juniors downstairs, uh, so be sure if you have questions for anyone under the age of uh, four, those are going to be directed to Kathy, and five, kindergarten and up, uh, will be over here in GPC kids. Uh, but we're excited. We have back-to-school bashes coming up and just some great events for our kids that um, we're planning. You guys ready for the word this morning? Ready to lean in? Let's go before God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for what you're going to say to us this morning. God, that we thank you for the weapons that you've given us to fight the enemy. God, as we step into this new school year, as we step into this new season, God, we ask that you would equip us with power from on high. God, that we are not left powerless or weaponless, but God, you give us gifts, you give us fruit, you give us relationships, everything that we have need of to win the wars that come against us. We honor you, we love you in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. Tim, you can bring up the lights. What I want you to know is just several thoughts that I highlighted with you before we get into uh, this message, is that when we open the word of God, it gives us a supernatural worldview. Can we all agree with that? That it gives us a worldview that goes beyond what we see in the natural. That always in the play and always that what's going on behind the scenes is that there is a spiritual realm in addition to what we see right here in the physical. And the Bible gives us insight of how we're to operate in that worldview. How we're to walk in the spirit, but also understanding, and number two, when we open the word of God, it teaches us that there is a battle, that there is a war. And we are supposed to view this Christian life not as a playground, not as just a life to be happy in. Yes, we are happy. Yes, there's moments we enjoy and, and all the things of life that God blesses us with. But we know that there's an enemy who longs to steal, kill, and destroy our life who longs to keep us bound, oppressed, depressed. Look at the world around us. It's addicted. It's oppressed. There is uh, ideologies that uh, bring people away from the intent and the word, word of God. So we need to know that there, the Bible gives us supernatural insight into the word of God and that it unleashes and reveals that we are at war. Can we agree this morning that we are at war and that we can't lose sight? And my job as your pastor is to get you engaged in this battle. Because the enemy, and I believe we've seen so much of this through COVID, is it's got us kind of off track. It's got us forgetting some essential things. It's got us out of the house of God. It's caused chaos in our school systems. It's called chaos in our economy. It's called chaos in our culture. And we need to be so aware. I believe in times like this, we've got to be aware, in tune, with what we're fighting in the demonic and how we have weapons to defeat the demonic. You know, I think about what we see, and, and before we get into the five weapons, just to give you context, when you read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll see uh, that there's this war introduced. When we see the enemy, and I, I like to start where the enemy shows up. And this is fun to preach in, in about marriage and about relationships, but we don't see Satan show up in the garden to our first parents, Adam and Eve, until... Eve is created and they're brought together. That the enemy shows up when a marriage is revealed. And so if you want to understand how the enemy works, and I find this fascinating when you study this, is that many times we just see sin and it looks like rebellion. 
But the enemy, just as Christ wants us to be in relationship, and most of us here, hopefully all of us here at one point have raised our hand and said, I want a relationship with Jesus. If you prayed that prayer in your life, raise your hand. Okay, well then, when you raise your hand, you've now set yourself up because the enemy wants to pull you out of that relationship and into relationship with him and to his way of thinking and to his domain and to his world. And so many times we see just sin or we see rebellion as the only way the enemy wants to get us to respond. But ultimately, he wants to pull you into a relationship, just as God, the Father, the Spirit, the Son want relationship with us. The enemy wants a relationship with you because relationship is powerful. Relationship, things can be birthed in that. Things can begin to take place and really take root in your life when it's done in relationship, not just a decision or a behavior. So we see that in this, that the enemy in the garden was longing to get Adam and Eve in relationship with them. There was one uh, standard that God said, don't eat of the, the tree, don't eat of the, not, of the tree that will make you like me. And what, the reason I said that is because that's what the enemy had told Adam and Eve, that he, he comes into the garden, and what does he do? He twists the word of God. And we're going to see in Luke chapter 4 that Christ ultimately fulfills what Adam and Eve failed in, what Israel failed in 40 years in the wilderness. Christ fulfills in 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. So what we can't do on our own strength, God gives us weapons to defeat the demonic. When we see the demonic revealed from when we started the year off of 2020 in the book of Jonah, we see Jonah and his demons that he's fighting, that he was running and running from God. And God was longing. The story isn't about Jonah. The story is about a good God running after Jonah. That in the middle of this war, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to slip into the flesh. We're going to slip into folly and foolish behavior. But in the middle of it, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And he is coming after you. And that has to be the place you never fall below. When you understand that God's love is the foundation of your life and you don't fall below it, then you're going to be able to have power not to recycle bad behaviors all the time, not to recycle the same battles all the time. Uh, because when you see spiritually, some of us are still, and we've been in fourth grade for 17 years, trying to fight the enemy and not getting past certain levels. And so we need to see that there is weapons that we have to defeat the demonic. And we're going to see this, that Adam and Eve didn't have access to this. We see that in the Old Testament that there was times where the Spirit of God would come upon a prophet or come upon a man and they would be empowered for a work. But the Holy Spirit has been released to all of us. And that's number one. If you go to this first slide, you'll see that number one, if you're taking notes, that the first weapon is the Holy Spirit. And I want to go through Luke chapter 4. And I want to see through Jesus fighting the enemy in the wilderness because where Adam and Eve, what happened after they sinned, after they ate of the tree or they ate of the fruit? says that they were sent out of paradise into the wilderness. Well, what Bible commentary will tell us, where Jesus picks up in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 3 was Jesus' baptism, where identity is given to him. Uh, as John baptizes Jesus, uh, the Spirit of God comes and, and confirms his identity, saying, this is my son, let's finish it together, in whom I'm well pleased. So this identity is given to Jesus. And so we see that Jesus picks up where Adam and Eve failed, that Jesus then shows up full of the Holy Spirit, returning from the Jordan River, which is baptism, 
And it says, he was led by the spirit in the wilderness. And it says, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So we see that he fulfills what Israel and what Adam and Eve couldn't do. I love when you can parallel the Bible together like this. And you can see that Jesus is always bigger. He's always greater. He's the one we've always been looking for and the champion in every story. So it says, Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. So right here, right off the bat, we see the onset of a spiritual attack. We see Satan setting the scene to tempt him. We see Satan setting the scene to take authority and to try to, to get Jesus into a relationship with him and not a relationship with his father. And so what I want us to see here, number one, knowing that the Holy Spirit is the first weapon we have, is four quick things in this uh, point is one, sometimes agony comes after glory. Jesus just experienced glory, his baptism. He experienced his sonship. He, he was living out of this identity that Jesus at this point had not done a miracle. He had not healed anyone. He had not fought, uh, called his apostles. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it was started with a test. It was started in a place and in a wilderness. And what I want you to see here, too, is that it says that Jesus first had to be filled, so full of the Spirit. And then it says, as he was filled, then he was led. And I think this is just a leadership life lesson for all of us, is that we never want to go anywhere until we're full of him first. We never want to step into a season, into a relationship, into a battle until we get on our knees and make sure we are full of the Holy Spirit because then we're, when we're full, we can be led. And when we are full and then led, we will have victory in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. amen. This, is the this is the process of effective spiritual warfare and effective battle. And it has to start with being filled and full and led by the Holy Spirit. We then see the beginnings of how a demonic attack would take place. Think of it this way. When you've been underneath a spiritual attack, were you usually tired, fatigued, worn out, emotionally dry? Um, were you uh, hungry? I think uh, many times when we're hangry, we make very poor decisions. <laughs> it might be petty, but the Bible's full of Elijah feeling suicidal because he was hungry. That... And this is where I tend, tend to go a lot of the times. As many times spiritual warfare and spiritual life isn't as mystical as we make it out to be, but it's very practical. And if we can live in both places, understanding there is mystery and mysticism to it, but it's also very practical of how we are to fight the enemy and the weapons that we have. So we see and we can't believe the lie that if we have the Holy Spirit, if we're in relationship with God, that everything is going to be comfortable and easy because Jesus tells us that if we're in a wilderness season, which I believe collectively as the body of Christ, the church is in a wilderness season as we're walking through COVID, as everything is changing, as we're having to examine ourselves. The, the message that I've just been uh, replaying in my mind is when COVID started, it was the invitation to transformation, that we allow the spirit of God to transform us in this time and that we not lose sight. But we have to understand that sometimes agony comes after glory, that we can be most deceived when we're in a season of God is just moving in me. God is blessing what I'm doing. Money's good. Relationships are good. That's the time where the enemy can slither in while we're high on life and begin to deceive us. When, thing, when we're struggling and we're opposing the enemy, 
we're at our best. We're fighting. We're aware. We're alert. And so Jesus shows us that as he's going into the wilderness, as the enemy is setting the stage, as he's tired, he's hungry, he's fatigued, that's when the enemy takes scene and begins to tempt Jesus. Number two is this, is when you follow Jesus, you walk into war. I want that just to be a standard in our life, that when we follow Jesus, we are in a war. Three, that there's false teaching on what a spiritful life is. And four, the key to walk in the will of God is even if it's in a wilderness. That that has to be a lot of our understanding if we're going to defeat the demonic because we can't be deceived with wrong thinking on how we view spiritual life, how we view warfare, and how Satan loves to hit us. Revelation 12.10 says this. It says, Satan accuses day and night. The enemy loves to accuse you day and night. Now, this is something we need to understand about the enemy, is that the enemy, unlike us, is not limited by humanity. So the enemy doesn't get tired. The enemy doesn't stop coming after you. He doesn't stop sending his demons, his attacks, that he's constantly fighting and moving and doing and going and accusing and attacking day and night. Well, here's the good thing. Revelation also tells us about the spirit of God and about angels is that they worship uh, King Jesus on the throne day and night as well, that they're not limited by humanity like you and I are. Even the most Pentecostal of us will have to stop worshiping at some point and go and sleep and eat and rest, right? That we're going to run out of energy and we're going to run out of strength. And so we have, that's why God gives a Sabbath. That's why we have to rest. Because if we're not rested up, if we're not prayed up, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we are going to be susceptible to a demonic attack. And we're not going to be able to defeat and take the weapon of the Holy Spirit that we have. So you have to understand your enemy. If you've been in any form of military, whatever the enemy is or the objective, they make sure you know who your enemy is. I think a lot of us, we walk around not knowing who our enemy is and how to fight our enemy. But the Bible reveals so much, and we have to stay engaged and, and present and aware of who our enemy is. Number two is this. Our weapon is we have to know our identity. We have to know our identity. Your identity in Christ is one of the most powerful weapons you have. This is why the enemy was attacking it right after Jesus' identity was confirmed. Look what it says. It says, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scripture says, People do not live by bread alone. One thing I want you to notice here, you can underline it, is where it says, If you. So what begins to happen here, and this is how you can tell if you are um, just more self-talking or having negative talk going on in your head, or if the, enemy if the enemy is oppressing you under a demonic attack. If you suggest that there is a third party trying to come against you saying, you are this, you are dumb, you are stupid, you are unforgiven, you are never going to be able to move past your past, you can't do this, you don't have what it takes, when you start hearing those accusations, that is a good sign that the enemy is oppressing you. Now, if I, now there's times, now this might be something more that my personality or how I struggle is that I'll beat myself up in my own head. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. The enemy will then take that and use that. But when you begin to hear the you, 
that's a good sign that the enemy is coming at you specifically. And so we see that this is what begins to happen and begins to take place. Think about it this way, too. The, the enemy, Satan, our spiritual enemy, also has an identity. And he rejected that identity when it was given to him in heaven. The enemy was a worship leader. He was the greatest worship leader, wrote the greatest songs, and he began to rebel against God. We know the story. Through his rebellion and through the third of angels that rebelled, they were sent down to the pits of hell. And then Satan was born. He was our oppressor and our attacker in the, in the legion of demons. And so think about it. Is that the enemy started off in rebellion when he was kicked out of heaven. And so in this rebellion, he rebelled against his identity. And now he does the same thing to you and I to get us to not receive our heavenly kingdom godly biblical identity. He will keep you divided. He will keep you clouded. He will keep you unaware. He will keep you out of the word of God. He will keep you tired, fatigued, depressed, oppressed, you name it, so that you never step fully into your identity. This is what he's after. Because we're made in what? The image and likeness of Christ. He's after the image. He's after what Christ is and who he looks like, and that is you and I, and that is humanity. So just as he rejects this identity, he's looking to get you and I to reject it. Think of it this way, is he was to be a servant to God, but he wanted to be worshipped like God. He was to be worshipped, he is to worship God, but wants to be worshipped like God. He's supposed to be dependent, this is a good one, he's supposed to be dependent on God as you and I are, but wanted to be independent of God. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to get you out of dependence on God and independent, trusting in yourself, trusting in a worldly system, trusting in your paycheck, ultimately. When God is saying, I need you dependent on me, I am your life source, you've got to use the weapon of the Holy Spirit, then you have to know what your identity is and begin to walk in it. Here's another way to say it. Your identity is received from God or achieved by you. That's, that's the fight. It's received by God. I receive who you say I am. I'm forgiven, redeemed, chosen. Your, your mercy, your grace comes into me. It's who I am. I'm like you. Or I'm going to fight and be my own person. I'm going to let my success define my identity. We see it all the time and all over the place. That this is how the world chooses to live is that it, my identity is achieved, not received. And so this is how he attacked Adam and Eve. He, he went after their image. He went after everything God called them to be. I like this as well. You work from your identity, not for your identity. This is, this is the grace we have. We work from a place of knowing who we are, not trying to be labeled, not trying to get God's attention and, and to say, I'm, I'm well pleased with you. He already is. There's nothing you can do about that. So we work from that place, not for it. And I'm telling you, if you can let that get down in your spirit, it'll set you free. Because we live life trying to please people. We live life trying to get uh, someone's attention or affection or earn it. That's already settled and that's already done. So stop trying to fight something that God never intended you to fight. Get in your word and remind yourself who you are in Christ. And watch as you begin to sense and know and remind yourself that the power of God, that you have this weapon of your identity. Scripture says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. You've got to know the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. Truth will set you free, the Bible says. Weapon number three is this godly perspective that we see in the scripture. 
that we have to have the right mindset. The war is in the mind. We know this. If you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, we understand that the battle is in the mind. Look what it says. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Theologians' commentary will tell us that there's really not even a word to describe what the enemy did here. Is what the enemy did is he took Jesus and in a moment of time put every desire, every fleshly want, everything that you could ever desire in your flesh right in front of Jesus in a moment of time to entice him, to get him to covet it, to get him to want it. To The enemy laid all his cards on the table and said, I will give you anything and everything you want without any pain. Doesn't the enemy love to say, I can give it to you right now. I can give it to you quick. Because you have to remember, Jesus knew that the way of God, because again, God's after relationship, the enemy's after relationship. God has a kingdom, the enemy has a kingdom, is that God's way is through a cross. So Jesus knew his ultimate purpose and his destiny was going to have to go through a cross. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be flogged. He was going to be accused by someone in his circle, betrayed. But the enemy's saying, I can forego all of that and give you everything. And in a moment of time, showed him all of that to seduce Jesus and to entice him. And if you've ever been seduced and enticed by the enemy, you know he's good at what he does. He plays on a whole other playing field to get us to take the bait. And so in a moment of time, and maybe there's been times under a demonic attack, I've sensed that out of nowhere it hits me, and you just begin to covet something. You begin to want something that you don't have, or you begin to get discontent. Anybody ever just been there before? Is out of nowhere, a desire or a passion hits you, and you're like, where in the world did that come from? I'm telling you, this is how the enemy gets us to take the bait, is he wants to entice us. He wants to draw us in and say, look what I can give you without the work. Look what I can give you without the pain. You think all this oppression, this fight, this addiction you're in, if you just give into it, you'll stop feeling that fight or that torment. Well, that's the lie because if you know a Christian who sins in, a, in an amount of time, it'll be the worst decision they ever made. The enemy always makes things look good up front, but long term, you pay the price for it. So we have to have godly perspective. Everybody say godly perspective. That we don't want to be driven by covetousness. It's in the Ten Commandments. The enemy, God knew that this would be a way that the enemy feeds the flesh to entice us. And when he entices us, then we become prone to this demonic attack. So we need to know how to fight covetousness. We need to understand and not be afraid of pain because the enemy will always show pleasure to get you to forego the pain that it feels to walk through a wilderness season. And see, this is what we need to understand as well. Is This is the hope that I feel a lot during this Luke chapter 4, is it says Jesus was tempted. So if Jesus was tempted and he didn't sin, that means temptation is not a sin. That we're going to be tempted, but we don't need to be fearful. Oh my gosh, I just sinned because I was tempted. No. You step into sin when you take the bait and you walk into that temptation and you begin following the path of that desire. But we need to know that when we're tempted, red flags should come up. The enemy is, is coming I'm in the onset of a demonic attack. 
if you're tired, hungry, fatigued, then you better really look out that the enemy is coming in strong and that you need to be aware that just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're defeated or that victory is not able to be had in your life. Here's the hope we have. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Every, in this moment, every temptation the enemy threw at him and Jesus overcame. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life to show us that it's not through our strength. It's not through our power. It's not through what we think we can do. It's through him. That Jesus, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have everything that you have need of, every weapon to defeat the demonic. And Jesus models this, and it's only through him and in him that you take hold of these weapons. So it says that we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness. Jesus didn't stay up there and say, I'll throw a few things at him and hopefully they get it. He became human. He became flesh to give us a model and give us an example. And if you had a father or a mother who was not a good model and an example to you, you have a heavenly father who walked through everything and can model an example how to, to fight temptation, how to fight sin, how to fight lust, how to fight everything that, that uh, pulls us into a sinful life. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's time for you to get confident. God favors the bold. It's time for God's people to step up and be bold and to be confident and understand that we have everything we have need of to defeat the demonic. Your mantra this week when you wake up is, I have everything I need to defeat the demonic in my life. If you've caught yourself in a cycle, maybe it's a generational cycle. Maybe there's times you find yourself, something that your, your mother or your father or your grandmother said that you catch yourself saying that doesn't line up with the word of God. You have the power through Christ to defeat every demonic attack that's come from generation from generation and generation. You've got to activate it, though. You've got to open your mouth, and you've got to use it. I'm telling you, if you, if you want the order of these two, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have your identity. If you don't know your identity, you're for sure not going to have godly perspective on life. And this leads us into our second one. If you don't have godly perspective, you're not going to know how to use Scripture. You've got to use scripture. You've got to use the word of God. It is your sword. Back in biblical days, what they would do to um, those that they were going to take to the highest officer in the area to interrogate, to get truth out of a, of a person, is they would take a sword and they would walk them through the city and have that sword underneath their neck of those who they were about to interrogate, throw them down in front of the highest official, and they would begin to ask every question to get what they needed out of them. Here's what I want us to picture, and this just blew my mind as I begin to make this parallel, is that's how we should do with the enemies. We should have the word of God under his neck, walking with him into the highest official, which is Jesus Christ, throw that thing down and begin interrogating it with the word of God and begin reminding it the place that it's to have in my life, which is under my feet, that I have the sword of the spirit. Why am I not using it? Why am I not wielding the word of God? The Ephesians tells us, Hebrews tells us that we have a weapon and it is the word of God. Evaluate your life for a moment. Do you watch more TV more than you read the word of God? Do you watch more TV than you watch sermons? It's not difficult. And again, I'm going to go practical. Is What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you consuming to get in your soul? I think of it this way too. Is 
we just moved, and when we were moving, we were setting up all of our charging stations for our iPad, our Mac, our phones. And a thought hit me is, there's times in my life I care more making sure that my, my devices have power source and are charged than I do making sure I'm filled and charged for the day. How bad is that, that we care more about a device having power than we do about our soul being charged, ready to fight the war that's facing us for the day? I'm telling you, if we're not full, then we're not going to be led. And we live, and I'm guilty of it as well, we live so much day to day on empty, not being full. And if we're not full, we're not going to be led in power or with any authority. So here's what it says, and this is what Jesus' common response through this, is you always hear it say, Jesus replied, the scripture says. Everything he quoted back was found in Deuteronomy. So he was quoting what the word of God already revealed. Scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. If you go back one more, he'll begin in godly perspective is he, the enemy was misquoting um, scripture because that's what the enemy does. He did in the garden. He'll do it with Jesus. He will twist the word of God. And let me say this as well, is that we are not God's editors. We are God's messengers. We're not called to edit anything in the word of God. We're called to say, if this is what, it's, what it says, this is how I'm going to live. And I think when you see someone trying to say, ah, I don't really agree with that, or I don't like that, or I don't get that, that rubs me, that touches me the wrong way, it's usually because there's rebellion in their lifestyle, and they don't want to face reality. Because the enemy will always keep you out of reality, and it will twist the word of God to make it sound good in a way that you can swallow it so that you can continue in a rebellious lifestyle or in a rebellious relationship. Side note from your pastor, okay? It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. And the scripture says he will order his angels to protect and guard you and will hold you up in their hands so you won't even hurt uh, your foot on a stone. So this is a scripture he's misquoting to try to get Jesus to do. Hey, the scripture says this, do it, and you'll be saved. But we have to understand that when we approach this, even the subject of spiritual warfare, is that it should humble us, not puff us up. Being around spiritual warfare teaching, growing up in church, there's many times when someone begins to wield the sword, they do it in a prideful spirit. They do it in a prideful way. But when we begin to wield the sword of the enemy, we are confident, but we are humble at the same time. That we're not to have the last word or the last opinion. It's to be the word of God. And we're going to see this in the next point, is that the word of God was the last word. Not what we think, our opinions, our thoughts, our posts, but it is the word of God which has to be the final word. Colossians 2.8 says this, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. That tells us, Paul tells us, that there is thoughts and philosophies and high-sounding nonsense, as this translation says, that wants to capture you and bind you and pull you away from the teaching of Christ. We've got to be aware. What are we consuming? What viewpoint? What agenda? What motive? What bias are we letting in? We know this. Truth dispels lies. Lies dispel. Light dispels darkness. Truth will always dispel lies. And light will always dispel darkness. You know, it says even in this is that Satan is behind systems. He, the Bible says he's the prince of the air. He knows how to work political systems. He knows how to work educational systems. He knows how to work media. Things that we see that are so impactful to get a message or a point across to us, the enemy usually has his hand in. The Bible tells us this, that he's behind 
these systems. Last point, I want to close with this. Chloe, if you come, is we have to have faith to trust. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That we have to have faith in order to fight. We have to have faith to trust who God says he is, who God says we are. We have to trust in who God is. The enemy will come to attack trust. This is what he does here. He says, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. He was putting God's character to the test. Just test him. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left them, him until the next opportunity came. This is interesting as well, is that it shows us that our life is war, war, and war. Just as Jesus walked through all of this, passed every test, the enemy said, okay, that's great, I'll be back. I'm telling you, we can't let down. We can't give in. The enemy will be back with another test. But what did you learn in the wilderness so you don't have to take, keep taking the same test? Did you maximize that time? Or did you just pout and cry and get anxious and all of the things that the enemy does? Or did you stand firm in the grace that's been given to you? The wilderness can be a powerful teacher. We don't test God, we trust God. We win by surrendering. That's the answer, is that we have to surrender to the will of God. There's nothing in the will of God I fear. There's nothing outside of it I want. A.W. Tozer said that. There's nothing in the will of God I fear, nothing outside of it that I want. That's the space and the place we are to be living in, in this place of constantly surrendering to the will of God. Though it take me into a war, though it take me into a battle, though it take me to a wilderness, I would rather have Jesus in the wilderness than all the pleasures of the world in paradise. I'm telling you, the enemy is cunning. He's crafty. And I pray this morning that some things have been triggered in you and, and awakened in you to say, I'm in a spiritual attack. Or maybe what I'm learning today, today is preparing me for the war tomorrow. Because war will come. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand? Done, having done all Ephesians says to stand, stand. Put on your armor. Stand strong. The enemy hates you. He hates your purpose. He hates your calling. It should rile you up that you have an enemy to fight. Check how you're fighting. Check your arsenal. Check what weapons you're using. And you've got to use the weapon of faith. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. And commentary will tell us he was reflecting on the wilderness temptation that Jesus just walked through in Luke 4. Look what he says. James 4, 7, he says, So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't fall prey to the lie that if I just do it, if I just give in to it, if I just gossip more, if I just say this more, if I just do this, if I give in to that affair, then just all the tormenting is going to go away. That's not how it works. The enemy says, or James says, Humble yourselves. Your power is in your humility, not your pride. Humble yourselves. More grace will be given to you. Then you'll be able to resist the enemy, and he's going to flee from you. The resistance is where the power is at, but it's only when we surrender and we allow Jesus, who's bigger, better, and greater, to come up through us and help us resist the enemy and fight this fight, to fight the, the demonic attack and the assault. I want to end with this. Begin and end your spiritual war with the Spirit. 
Hugo, it's not on here, but if you read the next scripture, verse 14, it says that Jesus walked out of the wilderness with power. So he walked into the wilderness with the Holy Spirit, but he walked out of it with power. I pray as we go back to school, as you send your kids back to school, as you engage in your everyday affairs, that you would understand that if I'm in a wilderness season, let me be like Jesus who walked into it with the Holy Spirit, but then he walked out with it, out of it with power. There's a difference of just knowing the Holy Spirit and then knowing the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the place we've got to live in. And we've got to know the power of God, the weapons we have to defeat the demonic mindsets, to defeat the demonic attacks that want to keep you hell-bent and hell-bound. He hates you. He wants to rob your family, rob your legacy, rob everything that looks like God. Let's step up. Let's fight. Let's go to war, and let's win the war in Jesus' name. If you stand on your feet, I want to pray for you. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is here. He wants to fill you right now, and then he's going to lead you into some situations. Maybe he's going to lead you back into the same thing you've already been fighting, but with a new perspective, full with the Holy Spirit. And you can stop this cycle, and you can defeat this thing. If you bow your head, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your power and your presence is here. God, we thank you that in the wilderness, we can learn so much of who you are and who we are. God, that we don't want anything outside of you. God, I pray right now that you fill us afresh. Just as a car needs gas, we need to be filled daily with the fuel and fire of heaven. God, I pray right now that you fill your church and fill your people with the Holy Spirit so that we can fight. God, as we're filled, then I thank you that you're going to restore our identity. We're going to shut the enemy's mouth where he's been lying to us, reminding us of our past, reminding us of failure, reminding us that you can't be forgiven. You're not good enough. You can't do that. The assault that constantly tries to come. We shut the enemy's mouth and we thank you that the, the word of God, godly perspective, is going to give us a lens that we see the way heaven teaches us. We see the way through the blood of Jesus. And God, as we have this godly perspective, God, we thank you that we're going to use the word of God. We're going to shove the word under the chin of the enemy and assault him and get to the truth. So, Father, we're going to wield our sword this week. We're going to put on our helmet of salvation, our breastplate of righteousness, our belt of truth, shoes of peace. We're going to take our sword and our shield in Jesus' name. And we're going to fight as we go into ZCA and into the school year. We're going to fight for the next generation. If we're not geared up, how can we fight for those who are most vulnerable? God, we thank you that our war is not just ours, but it's our families. It's our children. It's our grandchildren. We fight for their souls. We fight for their legacy. Because if we don't fight, who will? Lastly, God, give us faith to trust. God, we don't want to test you. We'll test you in the tithe. That's it. But God, we don't want to be double-minded about what the word of God says. But God, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. God, we want to be stable. We want to stand firm in grace. Increase our faith. Just whisper that, say, increase my faith. God, we want to use our faith, and it comes by hearing the word of God. So God, I pray that this church step into a new season of faith. 
God, we're tired of being bullied by the enemy. We're tired of our families being bullied. We're tired of addiction. We're tired of depression, anxiety. God, we're going to wield the sword. And we just put our hands together and we thank you for the victory that's going to come. In Jesus' name.